Hello, everybody. It's your podcast producer, Casey, and I just wanted to let you know that as of September 1st, 2023, this podcast has had nearly 76,000 total downloads and YouTube views from listeners in 84 different countries. On the Faculty Factory website, facultyfactory.org has drawn nearly 40,000 web visits from users in 122 different countries. It's truly an international platform, and we would love to invite you, no matter where you are, to be a guest on this show. Our host, Dr. Skrupski, makes the experience very engaging, relaxing, and it's all recorded on Zoom. So no matter where you are, we would love to have you join her for an episode. As producer, I'll make any edits that you'd like, so there's no pressure to nail it on the first go or anything like that. We just want to hear from different faculty around the world so we can learn from each other. Reach out if you'd like to be a guest. You can contact us on facultyfactory.org contact, or you can email Dr. Skorupski directly at kskorupski at jhmi.edu. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Faculty Factory Podcast. It's Kim Skorupski here at Hopkins, and I'm looking at my colleague and friend, Kathy Forbush. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Kim. It's always good to see you, even if it's just on Zoom. I'd rather it was in person, but this is our... Uh, I know, I know. Hey, everybody. Kathy Forbush, super cool. MBA and MS. She is our Executive Director for Human Resources Talent Management right here at Johns Hopkins University. And in this role, she's responsible for leading the learning and organization development functions for the entire university. Kathy has spent over 20 years working in HR, learning and organization development roles with clients of various functional disciplines in diverse organizations and industries. Now, off script here, Kathy has worked with hundreds, if not probably now thousands of faculty members in schools of medicine, our school of medicine. She has designed leadership courses, most recently with our former um, senior associate dean for women, Dr. Barbara Fivush, was the director of OWISM, the Office of Women in Science and Medicine here at Hopkins. And Kathy designed the Mary Elizabeth Garrett, the MEG Executive Leadership Program for Women. Kathy has also revamped our mid-career leadership program with our new Associate Dean for Women, Dr. Jenny Lee Summers. She leads this whole entire shop. She is a very deep thinker, forward thinker, uh, really helps us figure out competencies and frameworks. And today she's going to talk with us about leadership, core competencies, and she's going to give us some insight into where she has seen some of us faculty struggle with our leadership skills. So thanks again, Kathy, for being here. I really appreciate your time and can't wait to learn from you. Well, thanks, Kim. I'm really honored to be asked to do this and happy to share what my experience at Hopkins and elsewhere has been uh, been helpful for others. Well, I talked prior, you know, in a prior episode about our JHU JHM Leadership Competencies Toolkit. It's And if you don't know um, this episode, folks, you'll have to look at it on the Faculty Factory website. But I listed for our listening audience, I think it's we have 12 leadership competencies and your team put together a really nice matrix organizing each of these competencies by level in the in the organization you have. Um, what kind of behavioral interview questions or behavioral thoughts around identifying what stage you are in the matrix and then talking about the resources that are available. So this is a really cool competencies framework that your team put together. And I know you're working on something new. So can you tell us about like 
this new framework and how the iteration and how it works and your thoughts um, in this space for decades now. Yeah, thank you. So competencies are such a great way of, of thinking about and getting organizations aligned around what are the behaviors we most value and we want to see in our highest performers. And so when you build a competency model and the work right now, um, we're, we're going to kind of evolved from that 12 competency model, which was rolled out in 2014. So it's almost 10 years old. And uh, we're doing some new work in the university um, around building a new core competency model, which if I have my way, I'm hopeful we're going to be down to about seven. Oh, maybe. good. Oh, much better. And it's because we want it to feel a little streamlined. We will continue to do... Um, what I'd call stages of contribution type um, defining of the competencies. So you might have a competencies around relationships and networking, which at Hopkins, everything gets done by relationships. We, But what we will still do is we'll define the behaviors that are most frequently seen in what, like an, what we'd call an operational contributor. So someone who's kind of more on the front lines early in their career, kind of junior level roles to the individual contributor to management and leadership. And in each one, we'll have defined behaviors of what we expect to see in that competency around relationships and networking. I'm not saying that's going to be one of them. I suspect it will be. Um, <laughs> but we're going through a process where we're talking to um, high performers from across the institution. And we're literally just kicking this work off. But as we do this work over the next year, we're going to be talking to high performers in staff roles and faculty roles that we know are really good at what they do. We admire them as leaders. They're well known to us as leaders. And we're going to just interview them and really try and understand what makes them great and what makes them great in terms of what they look for in, 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 in performers and leaders. And use that content to define and create a kind of a common set of competencies that's based on the work of high-performing individuals across the institution. And then we'll build similar tools like the ones you reference in the current toolkit. So we'll have competency-based interview questions. We'll have assessment tools so employees and managers can kind of assess where they are in the competency framework. And again, recommend development ideas. And development I think one of the things that I want to say about development here is I oversee learning, which is a lot of the kind of programmatic curricular learning. And what I'm really hoping in this next iteration is that we can more meaningfully talk about the kinds of development that doesn't happen in a classroom or watching the LinkedIn learning course, but it's through the work that we do. So whether it's working on projects or, or serving on a committee or or you know, being part of a professional organization or volunteering to be in a governance role or serving on a search committee, all those kinds of work kind of things, but having people more intentionally identify like that activity is developing my skills in X, oh. my competency in Y. And so our we will definitely map it to curriculum and we'll make suggestions on, on based on the offerings we have at Hopkins. But we're also going to push the envelope a little bit and encourage people to think about how to build their skills outside of a classroom or curricular setting. Kathy, that is genius. Now, <laughs> I have never thought about what you just said in terms of development and learning. So let me just kind of put in what's going on bubbling around in my head is we know that many of our institutions do an annual review for faculty members. Mm -hmm. And many of us go through the promotions process as faculty members. We want to go from 
research associate, you know, assistant professor, associate professor. And we have have to put our CVs in certain order. Many of our institutions have a certain format. And in those, so let me talk about the CVs and then we talk about the annual review. In the CVs, we put like there's a spot for service to the community or volunteering or community service or professional affiliations or you know, governance, there's some subtitle that talks about what you just said. I'm on this committee, that committee, this task force, this working group, this professional society. And it's listed there as a service or a, um, to show that you're kind of like, you're, you're with the gang, you're, 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 um, you know, taking one for the team and you're doing your requisite service. Then in the annual review, process of being a faculty member, we sit down and document how many RVUs we're generating, how many grants we're getting, how many papers we're writing. And oh, by the way, I'm on the blah, 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 blah committees and this work group and that's task force. But it's now, and again, I'm just being ignorant here. So there may be somebody listening right now going, will you do this? But in to my knowledge, it's always just been a listing mechanism of the, the stuff I'm doing. And some of those things in professional societies are like, theoretically with the goal like if I serve on this committee then maybe one day I'll be the leader of this steering this committee professional society and that'll be great for my promotion but I've never heard it this component of a being a faculty life being thought of as a developmental or learning opportunity and this is the genius of this that we can now more thoughtfully weave this component of us into development and part of like its value value added and how do we value that and how do we put that in our individual development plans and think about that as well actually now that you think about it I, I have learned a lot about building relationships and handling conflict and staying organized so all those things that we learn about that we never really think about oh my gosh I'm so excited Kathy this is yeah. so smart all right I'm gonna yeah. shut up keep talking go no no you're you're keen on a really good thing and I think that this is common this is true of both employees and managers so the managers were always like I don't know how to help so and so get better at blah 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 and I often say to managers well have you ever thought about like giving them like, like being intentional and saying, I am giving you this assignment because I want you to develop this skill. And we're going to talk about it in our one-on-ones. Same thing with faculty development is I would encourage faculty to be judicious in the stuff they sign up for. You know, we talk a little bit about, particularly in the women's leadership program around overextending and saying yes to too many things. And Barbara Fivish would always say like, only pick the stuff that's going to help you. So to build on this idea, when you're thinking about serving on a committee, whether internally in your institution or for your professional organization, ask yourself before you say yes, what skill do I have the opportunity to develop? What experience can I possibly have? And then when you're writing your annual self-assessment for your supervisor, and this is also true of staff, not just faculty, reflect on, I got the opportunity to build this skill or work or observe. So like, so maybe I was on the search committee. I wasn't the search chair, but I learned from observing so-and-so how to manage like multiple stakeholders in a room who've got a lot of strong opinions and I observed so-and-so. And so I'm thinking the next time or by the end of the search, I was asserting myself more in the way that I saw so-and-so. But what you're doing is you're intentionally reflecting on not the classes you go to, but the experiences you have and how that's building your skills. 
And then when you're looking for opportunities to develop, and again, I'm a big um, believer in strengths. I, I, I like come from a position of strength. Like I feel like you can overdo strengths, but I know enough about finance and accounting to be dangerous. I have an MBA. That's not my core competency. I know enough to when to call an expert. But there are other things around my my the way I work, the way I lead that I can always get better at. And so I focus on that, but not the stuff that I'm like, I'm like here, I'm like, well, I'm visually, I'm like, I'm in the, I'm in the cellar. Like, I'm never going to get, I'm never going to go from being a C to an A in finance. I probably could get from a B to a B plus. Right. Um, but it's, so that's improvement. So, but it's like, where do I, like, where do I put my energy? But the, the whole thing to take away from this, and I'm hoping your listeners will take away from this is be more intentional about what you do outside your core job and ask yourself, is this setting me on the trajectory of my professional development that I want to have? Intentionality, experiential learning, experiential learning, recognizing that there are opportunities in our daily lives. You don't necessarily have to do an add-on to learn. It's the experience of learning. And I love how your grounding is telling us Take a moment, take a beat, pause, be intentional about the next, the the working group, the task force, the committee, the, the search committee, this paper review, this study section, not just I did it or I serve on it or like you're checking a box and it's a little button blurb on your CV, but rather I like how you're also explaining this, describing the impact it made, not only on like, well, I served on the annual professional, the conference for blah, blah, blah society. And, and I was really important on getting people to, to do stuff. Yeah, that's obvious. But then what did adding that little element of what impact did it have on you? I loved your example of clearly everybody knows what happens when you serve these committees that we came out with the recommendation. We came out with the report. We changed this, fixed that, you know, the par problem action results. Yeah, we did that. And moreover, I learned a lot about myself under whatever competency, how to give feedback or building relationships or acting strategically. And I learned there's growth opportunity for me to grow. And what this showed me was that this is really not something that um, I'm interested in. I really thought I should do it, but I really had no passion for it. I didn't like. So I like what you're suggesting, Kathy, is that at the annual review, in the CV, in your own brain and with your mentor and your mentoring team, Take the moment to be, as you're saying, intentional. What will I learn? What have I learned? And then how does this move me to the next step? Or what what have I learned to like not do? Experiential learning. You hit it. I love it. Genius. Not all last learning. I mean, and again, if you think about even for medical educators, right? So much of what medical education is, is experiential, right? Yeah. I mean, the most powerful things that we do as medical, as you all do as medical educators is probably what happens less than what's in the book, but what is happening when you're dealing with real life patients. So this is no different, right? Around developing your skills and leadership or being strategic or really understand budgets or whatever it is, you can't read it all in a book. Yeah. Yeah. So Kathy. No, I love books. I'm a big fan. Oh, yeah, oh no. I, I, I mean, I totally get what you're saying. And what you and I were talking about right before we pressed, you know, record is how we are in this, you know, post COVID era of 
we're not going to get rumps in seats anymore. It's really, really difficult to have faculty members who are pressed more than they've ever been pressed in their lives to generate revenue. They have to account for every minute of time. We can't, our faculty members are voting by mouse click. When COVID hit, they were in the Zooms and we were like, yeah, this is awesome. And guess what? This is not so awesome anymore because they're not even coming to the Zooms. And when they're on the Zoom, their cameras are off and they're multitasking. And so we're like, yeah. So we have to be able to, to pivot and to meet faculty where they are. And I think what you're hitting on here is just so smart that the doing, you know, leadership is not all about, only about the learning, it's the doing. You know, we are all leaders by virtue of our roles, what we do every day. So take the moment to look for opportunities of things that we, you know, really bad at. And I don't want to invest any time in that or I have to do that stuff, but I'm not going to invest any more heartache in learning it because it's clearly not my forte to do statistics. So infrequently as I do that, it's not worth it. And then I just get frustrated. So I'm going to have a statistician. Right. Um, so that that kind of thinking about, yeah, I have to give feedback, but I've learned that, um, you know, I've learned that when I'm in the grip or when I'm tense or it's after a procedure, this is not the time for me to give feedback because I'm exhausted or whatever, like that awareness. So I just think this is like when you're at your, yeah. When are you at your best to do those, those kinds of things? So here's the thing, like, you know, one of the things that I once heard from Donna Miller, who's our president of our hospital, I mean, hospital here at Hopkins say, you know, one of the things that she, you know, she had a clinical expertise. And as she moved through leadership, one of the most important things that she learned was, to really value expertise in others, but know enough to ask the right questions that she doesn't have to be the finance expert or the budget expert. She has to have people that she trusts doing that work for her, but she needs to know enough to look at it and ask really thoughtful questions. She doesn't have to know it as well as that budget person, but she needs to know enough to like say that number looks weird or why is that that trending that way or and and be but be confident that that person what they're telling you makes sense. And so one of the things that I think leaders struggle with is having to be experts in everything. And I find in my work, particularly with faculty who are physicians, um, is that you develop this very deep expertise in an area, deep, 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 like deep, and. What you struggle with is some of the more kind of fundamental human interaction things that you need to do every day, right? And not everybody is like on a on a table under anesthesia, right? Yeah. <laughs> if Somebody, only that were the case, the world would be so much simpler. Yeah. People could be um, anesthetized. Right, right. If everyone is anesthetized, then they would all do what I want. Um, but that's not the case, right? So you do have that tech in the OR or that nurse, or you do have that person scheduling your patients and checking in your patients and who's maybe agreed to like squeeze one more patient in because they felt bad talking to that. And you're like annoyed, but that person who feels pretty powerless in the big scheme of things, particularly compared to you and feels compassion for that patient might squeeze that patient in. And so you might get super frustrated and angry. And, you know, sometimes our staff feel really powerful, powerless to say no. They feel powerless to say no to you. They feel powerless to say oh. no to the patient. And so when you get really mad at them, 
they feel demoralized and that impacts their engagement. And, you know, and so do they stay here long-term because like who wants to be treated like that? Right. And so like understanding like what triggers you and being intentional and being like, you know what, maybe I need to go take a walk, take a breath, open my window. I don't know if you can open all the windows of Hopkins, but you know what I mean? Like get some fresh air. Right. Well, I think what you know, your own, you said earlier makes so much sense to me, Kathy, and that is um, knowing your strengths. And like, there's this, a tool, the Clifton Strengths Inventory. Yeah, that's what I'm and talking that, about. And, you know, it's everybody. It would like know everybody else's strengths. So that's part I think of your approach and your team is trying to bring us to this next level of awareness of all of our strengths, so that we can have great teams, so that we would know that. I want that empathetic staff person to be the front facing person in my clinic. Why? Because she sees the patients, she sees the pain in their eyes or the fear or the anger. And she can, that's the person we do want. So right. um, celebrating that, amplifying that and making sure that she, we're like, we need you. And back in behind in the in the operating room in the surgical bay, you know, this is what happens back there. When another patient is squished in, that puts a domino effect on everybody else. Then this, you know, nurse can't get to her kids to pick her kids up. And then they're charged extra at the day. I mean, just kind of making sure that everybody in the team is like five go team and understands the roles. But that that takes time, Kathy. It takes time. It does, time. but it, it also set, but, but setting context is so important, right? Because most employees, the vast majority of employees want to do well. Yes. They want to, they want to please you. They want to please, yeah. you know, the organization. They don't, you know, they don't want to worry about getting fired, but they also don't want to get yelled at. But a lot, a lot of times we assume because we're so smart and we're so busy well, of course they know. Of course they understand the impact of that decision on everybody else. No, they don't. <laughs> I love it. Assumptions, assumptions, yeah, assumptions, like, assumptions. Right in front of them. But your job is to calmly, calmly explain. Like, so I just want to help you, like, tell me like what, why you squeeze that person in. So ask a question. Okay. Don't automatically get really mad. Like, why did you squeeze that person? And like, just say, I'm just curious. Cause that had an, it kind of had an impact on my schedule. Why did you squeeze that person in? There may be insight from what they share with you, which may change your response. Mm-hmm. You don't assume you know why, right? Mm-hmm. Or maybe they say, you know what? That person reminded me of my aunt or my, that just died. And that, you know, and I just, she wore the same color or had the same pin or whatever. And I just felt so compelled. And then you go into, I'm like, I totally, and appreciate the the, the thought behind it, the intention and just mm-hmm. say, Here's the thing. I totally appreciate your intention to help that patient. I just wanted you to understand like the impact of how that impacted me and others in the operation. So while you're great, you may have had a really great human instinct. I just want you to understand the impact that that had in everybody else. Does that make sense? And And then you ask, so then you're like, so in the future, let's talk about when you're confronted by something like that, how might you respond differently Mm, so mm. that you don't impact that sounds like a way gentler conversation than I can't believe what an idiot you are for scheduling <laughs> that person. Don't you know how busy I am? I'm very important. <laughs> Dr. So-and-so, right? It's just going to feel different. And again, you're right. It takes more time, but in the long term, 
you may not have to have like that. If you're angry, you're going to have that question. You're going to have that conversation multiple times. If you, if you kind of are an avo- a classic conflict avoider and you're like, oh, and you, you're the faculty. So I'm the faculty member and I'm like, oh, she did it again. And I'm going to let that stew. I'm going to have that conversation about 50 times in my head anyway. So why not put it out of my face instead of in my head? And so, because otherwise, oh, it takes too long. Take Yeah, but how long are you going to ruminate and think about that and let that build, 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 build? And you're right. The assumptions are so important that we, we're like, well, duh. It's a duh to you because you're in the back. You're behind the curtain. You see what goes on back there. She may not or he may not be aware of all the pieces of the puzzle. This person may be that they're, they got the front stage. They got the, you know, the audience seats. They're taking, they have no idea what's going back there. So I like how you're saying, let me tell you how this, you know, what, what happens when this happens, then this, then this, then this, and this. Now you're making me think of this at lunch today. I ran over to Target because a friend of mine on the, on my pickleball league had a baby. So I'm buying some stuff and I'm standing there and I'm listening to this one cashier say, I didn't get out of here until 1030 last night. And, his colleagues like, why not? You're supposed to be out here at 930. Well, because I was trying to get out, but I saw somebody with a couple items. And so I went over to register whatever. I opened it up to check this person out. And before you know it, there were like four or five people in my line. And I, and then I was like, well, just a couple items, a couple items, a couple items. And every time I looked up, there were more people and it, you know, kind of spiraled out of control there. And you're just, I don't know why I'm telling this story specifically, but it's the whole idea of she or he, the front facing person was just like, well, you're at the cash register already. What's the big deal? I mean, you're at the operating table already. You got the scalpel in your hand. What's the big deal? Just right. some more. Well, the, so then the, but the, the long-term downstream effects were this poor kid didn't get out. He got an out an hour late. There was something the manager got mad because it put him over something, something. Um, it maybe sets a bad precedent. He and the woman's like, well, why don't you just put your sign up or tell people I'm closed, I'm closed. He's like, well, I couldn't do that to people. So he may be like the person you described because a high feeler. So that's where as a leader, you can, you say, OK, I get this. This is a wonderful, you know, strength you have. It's a great, you know, it's a great um, asset to the team. And this is how this would be the most efficient. We don't want you to burn out. We don't want you to get upset. So I, I like the way you've described that's a very good example that I think happens a lot with our conflict. And what do you, when you think of the leadership competencies, Kathy, mm-hmm. I, mean, I know they're, they're kind of universal, but where do you see us as faculty members? You know, where, where are our challenges, our bugaboos? And I'm, let me just, for the listening audience, they hear us talking about competencies. Let me just name them. These are the, the JHU, JHM competencies from 2014. Establishing relationships, developing talent, inspiring and motivating others, demonstrating emotional intelligence, acting with integrity, acting strategically, managing and championing change, navigating organizations, communicating effectively, promoting diversity and inclusion, holding self and others accountable, and enabling innovation through creativity. What I know these are all like basic human things, but like where do we mess up when we mess up? I think one of the biggest ones is developing self and others and less on the developing self. Like I think most faculty, particularly if they're on a tenure track, have very clear, like they know what the brass ring is and they're pursuing it and they know the process and they know what they have to do to get there. What I think sometimes faculty, particularly if they're leaders, 
Um, you know, and most faculty, if they don't have staff, they're teaching students, right? And so it's either students or employees, right? But I think what they forget is those people are trying to develop too. And I think we can lose track of that because we're so focused on us. And so here's an example that I often have this conversation with faculty. So faculty will often complain to me like, I have this great admin and they, they only stayed a year and then they moved on and they were fantastic and I'm devastated. And why won't the admins stay? Now, first of all, I will say the labor market's really tough. And like, if you're an unemployed administrative assistant right now, wow. Um, because <laughs> if you're good, you can find a job. What I say to these faculty often, I, I often like kind of, again, I pose it as a question. So tell me. You're a tenure track faculty member, right? And generally they say yes. And ultimately you would become like to become a full professor. Yes. Yes. Is generally the response. I'm like, so how is this staff member any different? The staff member is a person who wants to professionally progress. They want to make more money. They want to get titles. They want to feel like they're making a contribution and taking care of their family. They're no different than you. And I would say, what we know about this place at Hopkins in particular is everything's on relationships. Uh-huh. If you reimagine being supportive of people professionally developing and they feel it, they, when five years down the road, when you have that more senior level role on your team, you could call them up and say, Hey, so-and-so I know you've been doing this. Are you ready for the next big leap? They're much more likely to want to come back and work for you. That's now, right. if it's, I'm not denying that it's not disruptive to lose a really good assistant. I'm never saying that. And in the short term, it's super frustrating. However, we're in a kind of a long-term game here in terms of building teams that we want to work for us. So wouldn't it be better to be supportive and understanding that those folks have the same kind of ambition that you have? Mm-hmm. And that often, like, when I frame it that way, they go, huh, mm-hmm. They are like me. They're just, they just maybe didn't go to school as long as you did, or, you know, have maybe the IQ that you have, but all of us want to be successful and take care of our families. And, and so like, if you can frame it again, make them like make them more human and see them as a human. And same thing with your students, your students want to progress. Your students want to graduate. Your students want to become residents and, you know, and attendings and physicians someday. And so when you get frustrated with them, like, you know, it doesn't really help their development. It it just doesn't because then, and I will tell you what I know from what I've been hearing and reading about medical students today, they're not putting up with the stuff that maybe you did. You know, they're just not, they have no patience for it. And they're, they're used to self-advocacy and they have no problem calling the vice dean of education or calling an OIE hotline or, I mean, they just, they're not going to stand for it. And it's hard. I think you're like, well, like back in my day, uh, you know, it just, it just doesn't resonate anymore. And it's a very different generation. (laughs) Well, you know, that's, you've made a bunch of really important points, Kathy. And what I like about this is the insight you're bringing me to is a reminder that when I mentor and coach faculty all the time, you know, common refrain in academic medicine is that I don't feel valued. I don't feel like the institution values me. 
I'm treated, I feel like I'm treated like a disposable cog in the wheel. And if I don't like it here, I just leave and somebody else will hop in my place that I'm just a number. I'm just um, like a robot. I don't feel valued. Well, and that kind of, of course, it's horrible and it's horrific. And yet, wow, you know, turn that around to yourself. Do your, do your staff feel valued? Ooh, that's the ouchie you'd made me realize that we're all like, we're not valued. We're not valued. We're not paid a lot. We don't, you know, we don't, we don't have administrative support. We don't agree with the salaries. We're not valued. Well, you know, look at yourself. Are you then, it's kind of that dilemma of, do we model the behavior that's being given to us? Or are we going to be different and say, but I'm going to do it the right way. I'm going to show it's important to me to show value and to care about the relationships and be be in community purposefully with my team just because I don't feel valued does not give me license to say, oh, you don't feel valued? Well, I don't feel valued either. Really? Nobody That's, feels valued. Right. Nobody exactly. feels valued. So now you feel better now that nobody feels bad. Come on. <laughs> so and, but I think you know it get back it's it gets back to everything we're talking about is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like Time, time, time. I hear that's every day of my life. I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't have time. And yet, it's one of those, if you had an engineer looking over our shoulder and doing a time and motion analysis, yeah, right in this moment when you're living your life like your hair's on fire all the time, of course you don't feel like you have time. You don't have time to go to the restroom. You don't have time to eat. But you know what? You're going to pay for it on the other end. And the example you gave earlier was, what if you're burning through admins or you can't get staff to stay or you can't get trainees to stay or you can't get collaborators to reply to you? Because guess what? That makes it to me like maybe some introspection here. Maybe the part of this is that my frenetic, you know, angst, anxiety level of uh, is driving other people away. I'm trying to get better and get promoted. And it's about my grant, my papers and my patients and my RVU and my, 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 my. Wow. Yes. Yes. And guess what? We're all trying to get better as well. So you really made up. And nobody here works in a vacuum. Mm, mm. Even the person who pushes the vacuum doesn't work in a vacuum. You know, like we are all a team and we're all like here for the mission of the place. And, you know, every job matters. And I think one of the things that I hear from staff a lot is that they feel like, they don't matter, but they're compared with the faculty and students. They just talk about people who feel like they're disposable and not valued. And, you know, and, and I know there are faculty here that like can think about over the course of their career, like someone was really fantastic that worked for them, that they were sad to see them move on. And, you know, that is sad, um, but it's also a great opportunity for that person. And, and again, like there's also people that I know here who are tremendous leaders and people would work for them again in a minute Uh because they have that rep of being that, you know, that really great, that great leader. And the time thing is a really, is a really difficult thing. And, you know, um, I often as in our leadership development program that we do on the university side, we often bring in leaders to come in and just talk about their journey and what's challenging. And we open it up for questions. And invariably people ask about time because I'm basically inviting department chairs and deans and the provost. Those are the types of people, you know, vice presidents. And those are the types of people that come in. And, you know, I find, you know, there's no magic bullet, but I do find like some of the people I hear most frequently are like who, 
who do try and put some parameters around like that one in particular who talks about, you know, uh, after 10 o'clock, unless, you know, you're, you're one of five people, you, you can't get in touch with me. You know, there's five people who can get in touch with me past 10, between 10 PM and 6 AM, um, or 5 AM or whatever, you know, but once I'm five o'clock in the morning, like I'm good, I'm, you're going to, you know, like, so, but that's just one example. And that's just, then that works for that person. And, um, you know, but I, and there's no magic bullet. I wish there was a magic bullet that I could share with all these faculty right. who are listening. They'll be like, oh, Kathy Forbes, she finally has the answer. I don't. Um, but I do, what you were talking about is like, if you're spending a lot of energy getting angry and spending a lot of time as you're driving home, thinking about how angry you are at that person who didn't do what you wanted them to do because they left or they scheduled that extra patient, you are consuming energy uh. that, you know, you, if you had had that one conversation, right. That, you know, it, I'm not saying it would never happen again, but it's probably less likely if you had a nice yeah. conversation versus a yeah. just yell at them because likely they're going to do it to you again. Yeah. Because and, they feel that same pressure. And Kathy, you're also making me, you know, think, you know, just being a little humble is that I think many times we think because we are such in academic medicine and faculty members, we're overachieving, got to get more degrees and credentials. And we're these, you know, great A plus students. Well, I can't do this until I, as you mentioned earlier, you know, read a book, get a certification, read a bunch of articles, go on a retreat, go to boot camp, learn how to do this, take 15 leadership courses. And you know what? Yeah. And also just slow down and be a human. I can envision myself because I, I just taught, you know, Dave Yusuf, my buddy and I, our, our Dean for Professional Development, we just taught um, yesterday in the Junior Faculty Leadership Series conflict management and mediation. And, you know, there's like those crucial conversations book, there's a difficult conversations book, there's emotional intelligence, there's all these things and frameworks. And yeah, you can study these things and you can memorize them and you can have little index cards in your pocket nor a little app you could pull up to remember, oh, here comes Kim Skrupski. I wanted to mention to her that I'm having a problem with her. Which approach should I use? And you could pull out your cheat sheet. You could do all that. You can memorize this stuff. Or you can just be like you're saying, be a human being and just say, hey, Kathy, you know, I know that I was a little bit short with you the other time of the meeting. I, I took a class last week on conflict management. I'm trying to absorb it all. I really haven't had time, but I know I messed up somehow. I'd love to schedule some time with you just to kind of figure it out. I'm trying to be better. I really don't know how, you know, what's going on here, but there's something wrong with us. And, you know, could we spend some time? That just kind of like humanizes and being humble and go without saying, I'm going to, you know, tell, ask, tell what I'm going to, you know, where you're off a script and the person, and then you're like, come on, dude, get out of the script. That doesn't feel very genuine, right? I mean, and and some of the things is, is to just admit you're how you're human, you're having a bad day. You know, I had a recent situation where um, one of the folks who works for me, who I have a ton of respect for, has been working really hard on a project and was presenting to a larger group of people. And, and I trust this person implicitly, but there was a piece of it that I hadn't seen in advance. And I, had a visceral reaction to, and I kind of reacted in the meeting in front of all these people. And what I said, like, but I realized in the moment, like that this was probably awkward for this person because everyone probably was like, has she not reviewed this in advance? You know? <laughs> and so I said in the middle, by the end of the meeting, I'm like, you know, um, it's in retrospect. Um, I haven't, like we didn't have the opportunity to review this and I'm just reacting to it by seeing it for the first time. And I realize 
it appears that we're not aligned and we're going to work offline, but I want to own that this is on me that I didn't, I'm just reacting because I'm seeing it for the first time. And I think I, because I wanted that person to be, know that they're still valued, that I value that their work and that was very thoughtful. I didn't agree with some of the things that they were proposing. And we had a conversation about it. And then again, when we were private, I apologize. I said, I apologize that I made it look like we weren't, that I was, I didn't have your back or that we weren't a lot, that we hadn't done the work. And um, if that made you feel awkward in front of your peers and colleagues, I apologize for that. Um, so sometimes it's just being willing, like we're like we're not always going to be perfect. I mean, like I teach this stuff for a living, and I'm not always best at it. But I think being willing to say I screwed up, and I'm sorry, and yeah, you know. So we had a really good conversation after that, and the person said, you know, in retrospect, I probably should have anticipated knowing you for eight years that you would probably have a reaction to that. And I probably yeah. so again, it was like no harm, no foul. We're good. But I think, you know, we both learned from that experience and like, how do we move, we move forward really productively. Yeah. And you, but you've clearly built the relationship about making it safe. So Mm -hmm. that's what I like about, you know, the principles when we teach leadership, if you start, you know, with the authenticity that, yeah, we are humans. We're not infallible, perfect fill in the blanks. We're all going to mess up. Right. And so start starting from that ground floor of just I'm being authentic. Some days I'm firing all on all pistons and I'm rocking and rolling. And other days I am just I'm just fritzed out and I'm gonna mess up. And it's safe for you to call me out. You I'll call you out. Let's let's work together because at the essence of this, we care about each other. Right. And that's I think everything comes back to what you said earlier. It's just relationships. And if and my gosh, I mean, if you you know, back to the whole, another example of everyone being anesthetized. If we don't have relationship, what's the joy of doing any of this? Like we're all doing what we're doing in relationship with each other. I mean, that's what it, what it comes down to. So that time is, is so valuable. And so that's what I always try to impart to people. I know you're busy. I know you don't think you have time for things and some things you don't, but being purposeful and intentional to the end point of thinking about other people as they're humans and leadership is about relationships. So if I really want to be a leader, I need to be mindful of these relationships. Yeah. And I think part of it is being curious, right? So in your humanity is about being curious about the other person. And so sometimes it's, it's around. So one of the things I always teach around feedback, like the best feedback is a series of questions and not like, machine gun kinds of questions, but like conversational questions. Like, so tell me around, tell me, tell me a little bit about how you approached X. Like what went into the thinking around that? Not what went into the thinking around that? So tone really matters. And you're kind of like, you're casual, like even in your body language, you're saying, you know, you're kind of like, I'm really curious and really genuinely be curious. So walk me through kind of how you did that and why, and ask questions because it is in the responding to the questions you will get insight because you probably go into most conversations with assumptions around why did so-and-so do that? Why did my trainee do that? Or why did my student, or why did my staff member, or why did my spouse or my child, but we won't, we'll put those over to the side, but you have assumptions. But if you ask really good questions, people will respond to you. If there's trust, Mm -hmm. eventually they'll be like, you know what? I didn't even think about that. Or, well, I was thinking this. And you're like, exactly. well, a lot about that, you know, like even to that example around that scheduling example, like, so tell me about like what went into that decision-making. 
Yeah. And then have you thought about X? And so, and then position, like, how do we talk about how to avoid this in the future? So if you're confronted with a really emotional patient, I can totally imagine how difficult that would be. So what are some strategies we can talk about around how to respond to that in the moment that is authentic to who you are as a human, um, is good for the relation, patient, doctor relations or office relations, but also doesn't have a huge negative impact on the team. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about, let's work together on that. And so that seems like such a, but you have to be curious enough and want to put the time in to ask the questions, to find out the why behind the motivation or by the, the why behind their intention. So if we could all get like, so my one piece of advice for leaders and I say this all the time, if we could all just get better at asking questions and making declarative statements, we'd all be better leaders. If we could all get better at mass asking curious questions. Curious, yeah. We make so many assumptions and tell ourselves so many stories. <laughs> so before you go down the route of, well, that I'm all and she's all and he goes and I'm she and then she, before we go down the, the path, the dark path of stories, just stop it. Like nip in the bud, ask some questions. Because we've all kind of told ourselves these stories, right, about the intentions that they probably had. And it could be, I've kind of been loaded for bear, like, all right, it's going to go down. She's going to say this, and I'm going to say that, and she's going to go here, and I'm going to go there. And then I'll say, la, 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 and she'll go, one, two, three, and I'll go, oh, yes, okay. (laughs) Didn't think about that. Never mind. (laughs) Never mind. And we do. I mean, that's part of the human condition to make those assumptions. Again, it's that survival instinct that we all do. Right. It's why we have bias, right? It's the same reason we have bias. We all have as humans. It's a survival instinct to make, to assess situations and make judgments about situations. Right. This is the same. Like when you're reacting in a stressful situation, you're just trying to make sense of it so you can move through it. Right. But if you can stop again, if it's urgent, you got to just deal with it. But like yeah. in, if you can soon after, have a constructive conversation where you're just asking really thoughtful, curious questions in a light tone, lighthearted tone, like, you know, like, you know, in terms of volume, you're going to get to a better place. I'm telling you, it's, it's, you're going to get to a far better place. You heard it from the pro folks, Kathy (laughs) Forbush, Johns Hopkins. Kathy, this has been wonderful. Thank you. I've learned so much, so much from you. Um, Thank you for all everything you do for our our university, for medicine, for faculty. And folks, if you want to be in the Faculty Factory podcast or you know somebody who should be on, check us out. Go email me at facultyfactorykim at gmail.com or go to the website or something. Get, get in touch with me here at Hopkins and we'll get you on and brilliant people like uh, Kathy Forbush at your place. Have them on. Thanks again, Kathy. I really Thanks, appreciate Kim. it. Thanks, It was really fun. I had a really good time. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more. Get in touch with me. Ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.